This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Trade Coffee. We are so excited to bring them on as a sponsor because we have loved Trade's coffee subscriptions forever, and we always recommend them in our Cool Mom Picks gift guides as a fantastic subscription gift for any coffee lover on your list. What we really love about Trade is that every coffee they send you is customized to your own tastes, preferences, coffee grind, even how you take your milk or sweetener based on a fun quiz you fill out. From there, they hand-select the perfect beans from the best roasters, around the country, and you know how much we love supporting small businesses. Finally, Trade ships the coffee to you within 24 hours of roasting, so it arrives at the peak of freshness. A Trade coffee subscription is so convenient for you, but it's also a fantastic gift with Mother's Day and Father's Day coming up. Even better, they're offering a special offer just for Spawned listeners and Cool Mom Picks readers. Order a subscription at drinktrade.com, and you'll get 50% off your first bag of coffee with code COOLMOMPICS. 50. Again, that's promo code COOLMOMPICS50, all one word, at drinktrade.com. Log on to drinktrade.com right now and take the quiz. It's really fun. Hi, this is Kristen. And this is Liz. With everything going on in the world right now, we really wanted to share a favorite episode from 2020 featuring an incredible guest, Renee Seiler, who's talking about racial justice in America and how we can best speak up and speak out. If you haven't heard it, we know you'll get so much out of this candid, honest discussion. And if you have heard it, it's a really good one to listen to again right now to think about what's changed and what hasn't, and even how you might have changed in the past year. Hello and welcome to Spawned, a common sense, hopefully fun and generally helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. And I'm Liz Gumbiner and we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today we are excited to be talking with Renee Seiler about speaking up and speaking out about racial injustice in 2020. And as always, we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week and we are so excited to jump right in. So let us tell you a little bit more about our amazing guest, Renee Seiler. She's a broadcast journalist, TV personality, and author who you may know is one of the original hosts of The Early Show on CBS News, where she interviewed everyone from Jimmy Carter to Laura Bush and John McCain to Will Smith and Beyonce. She's made guest appearances on shows including The View and The Nate Berkus Show, The Wendy Williams Show, The Monique Show, lots of things that end in show. <laughs> and she's an active member of the National Association of Black Journalists and a recipient of the Gracie Allen Award in the National Best Anchor category for her series on breast cancer. And I have to say, she also, I know, spoke on the Today Show because that's where I first met her on a panel together. <laughs> so parents may know her best as the author of the book Good Enough Mother, the perfectly imperfect book of parenting, which is a series of essays offering helpful and humorous advice to help moms navigate the pressure to be perfect. She has a website of the same name and a wide social platforms she uses to help empower women and moms to do what's best for them. She also runs the Communicators Academy to help teach public speaking and, in fact, travels the world as an in-demand public speaker herself, discussing motherhood, modern families, Black women's health, and issues that impact the Black community today. And today she lives and parents her two kids in the New York City suburbs, and we are so happy she made the time to join us today. Welcome, <laughs> Renee. Hi, you guys. Wow, you make me feel so good. I'm so pumped up just from all You're that. Amazing. Right. Well, 
ride the wave. We're riding the wave, Renee. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Let's go. Well, we talk so much on social media, so I'm so excited to like have this actual time that we can really talk and get into it because this is a this is a big topic, and I know a lot of our listeners are just really. Some of them waking up for the first time. Some of them have been deep in social justice for a long time. But I think it's a good, important thing to keep talking about. So first of all, I just want to know, how are you doing these days? I'm fine, actually. Um, you know, a lot of my friends have, have checked in with me and they're, and they're asking, you know, how are you doing? And which is lovely. And I really appreciate it. But, you know, these things, while new to a lot of people, are not new to me and to my children and to my family and to any black person. We know that these things, and I'm not talking about George Floyd specifically, I'm not talking about the rioting and the looting, I'm talking about that George Floyd was a flashpoint. And the flashpoint has been about racial injustice for a long, 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 long time. So now mm -hmm. what we're seeing is the result of that. And every black person is like, you know, we, we've been subjected to racism and microaggression and things like that. So this, while the magnitude has been pretty eye-opening, the cause is not at all new. You know, it, it reminds me of when white people go, this is not my America. And every black person I know goes, yeah, it is. <laughs> well, let me just say this. It's been a very eye-opening time for me because it. I look at people differently. I look at my friends differently. And I'm not just talking about the ones who are adamantly against the kind of racial equality that we're all trying to seek, um, or the ones who want to keep things you know, the same. It's not just those people, but all people, including the ones who really have just been sleepwalking through their lives. And, and I know that as a young parent, I was that way. I had a lot of stuff on my plate. I was working full time. I was doing all the, you know, I, I, like, like a lot of young parents, you're just trying to keep everything, all the balls in the air. And so it's easy to miss what's happening around you. But I do believe as parents, we have a responsibility to make sure our children have an accurate view of of injustice and what they can do about it when they see it. They need to know how to recognize it. And then what? Then what do we do? And those kids don't get that unless we tell them mm -hmm. and teach them. You know, I'm a friend of yours on Facebook, and I really... I look to your feed often, and I'm glad it shows up, which means I'm engaging with it, right? The good old Facebook algorithm <laughs> there. And I find that you're always someone who speaks up about these issues in a way that, um, you know, is helpful for me because I feel like there's a lot of discourse that happens with your posts. Mm -hmm. You put them up. It's not just I'm posting this. I really want to mm -hmm. have a discussion. Um, and mm -hmm. I know that there are a lot of black people also who I'm friends with and follow on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, all the socials who, you know, have stepped back a bit just in the name of self-care, right? So, like, there are different approaches to these issues at hand, and and that's okay, but I know you specifically are very vocal, and I'm, and I'm wondering, you know, does that help you in particular? How do you feel like that contributes to, you know, the conversation and the learning that's happening? Is that how you get your energy? I just want to hear more about your decisions and sharing and, and, and how you choose, because I know you're very particular about 
mm-hmm. what you share as well. Right. You know, if I shared every single thing that I see and want to share, I never get anything else done in my day because mm-hmm. I am a communicator by nature and by my career. I've always been one of those people who shares, talks, you know, whatever. So I've always been a communicator. So this is my way of communicating. Now mm-hmm. I'm able to communicate it filterless now because, you know, it's my page. And, and so unlike the days when I was reporting the news where I had to actually be impartial, I can actually say how these things impact me and impact the people that I know. So it's, it's like you've been um, unleashed or, un- mm-hmm. you're, you know, so now yeah. you can actually open your mouth, your jaw's not locked anymore. And you can say, Hey, listen, this is not cool. The other thing is that that presents a bit of a challenge because I do have some friends who don't believe as I do. And some of them come on my page and engage. I have no idea why, because they always get stomped on, but okay, whatever. (laughs) Because my page leans, you know, pretty liberal. They come on the page and then they'll come in with whatever it is they're talking about. And I have friends who will text me, you know, behind the scenes and they'll say, why don't you just lock that person? And I don't. There's a reason I don't. Number one, it comes from the hardcore. Just because they don't agree with me doesn't mean that they don't have a point. However, I do draw the line when the point is about reducing or removing people's rights. I mean, there is a point at which I'm saying, I'm not going to let you use my space to talk about that. But the other thing is this, there are a lot of people who do not trust journalists. And even though I'm not technically a journalist anymore, I was one. And so I guess I let people talk because I don't want them running in and saying, see, if your point doesn't jive with what they're saying, then they just delete and block you. So I kind of am a little bit sensitive to that too. Mm -hmm. However, Um, if they are harming my own piece, well, you know, they can go kick rocks because I'm not really, I'm not down for that. I love that. And I want to talk to you a little more about that because that's always been, you know, we've had our site for 15 years almost and our Facebook page almost as long. And our rule has always been that respectful debate or disagreement is okay, but that you have to attack the idea and not the person. And if we think that it's not contributing to the conversation, we have the right to like mute it or kick you out. And I think actually that's one of the things that I'm seeing non-Black people start to learn for the first time, which is that you can control the conversation. I mean, for a long term, I heard particularly white people who consider themselves non-political, they would put something even like vaguely controversial or political or topical. And frankly, I don't think that social justice is a political issue. I think there should be a humanity right. issue. That's just me, maybe. Right. Right. So I start yeah. to see a lot of people, particularly white women, say, well, you know, I don't want to start anything or, you know, I just put it up there because maybe it'll reach someone. But they kind of allowed the conversation to get away from them and become really ugly. And I used to say to people, you know, look, it's your page. You can create the rules. And I think for Mm -hmm. the first time, they're starting to see that that's okay. It's not going to alienate people or even better. They're starting to see that if they alienate people who are hateful, (laughs) maybe that's not so bad. And I wanted to know if you're seeing the same kinds of things. So I am seeing a lot more of my friends, and I I feel like I have a pretty wide spectrum in terms of racial balance and and makeup in terms of my friends. But I grew up in all white neighborhoods. I went to predominantly white institutions. I worked for, you know, a news operation. All my news operations have been predominantly white, as are 
they all except for those that cater to the black community. So I've straddled a line for a long, long time. But I think what's happening now is that we're seeing some things that we can no longer ignore. I don't like to you know, say black women, white women, so on and so forth, because it always made me feel uncomfortable. But frankly, I have to say it, you know, something like 50, what was it, 56% of white women voted for Donald Trump. I might be wrong on that stat, but I know it was something like that. Mm-hmm. And that that means that these people were in line with the things that he said or thought or what have you. And so to get white women to finally say, you know what, that was, um, hmm, that's not a cool thing. And, you know, I, I don't stand for these things and I'm not a racist or, or what, whatever. And to see them make that change has been pretty interesting. One of the um, things that I think is really, really important is that we define racism properly. So people have far too narrow a definition of racism. Their idea of racism is, well, uh, I'm not burning crosses on people's lawns and I'm not running around using the N-word. So therefore, I'm not a racist. That's wrong. You know, racism is a system. It is a system that is prejudice, which we all have, but it's backed by legal power and authority. That Mm. is racism as a system. That's Mm -hmm. why there can be no reverse racism, because black people have never in this country had that kind of power, had that kind of authority. So when people say, oh, that's just reverse racism, I just, I'm like, stop it and learn what the term means. The other piece is that You know, they say, I'm a good person, so I can't be racist, and racists are bad. And so Robin DiAngelo, in in her book, White Fragility, talks about this as the good-bad binary. In -hmm. other words, if I am a good person, I can't possibly be a racist because racists are bad. But that doesn't address microaggressions and some of the prejudice, where that comes from, why, and how those things impact how you think and behave with with people of color. And Mm -hmm. I've actually seen, like last year, there was a lot of talk, particularly, I mean, I spent a lot of time on Twitter for my politics. And, um, (laughs) you know, I, I saw a lot of articles shared about how, for example, calling someone racist is not helpful Mm -hmm. and doesn't change minds, if that's your goal, because there are people who are part of a racist system and benefit from racism, but don't see themselves as racist for all the reasons you say. And so therefore, Mm -hmm. they just will not identify with the statement or they'll say, you're just calling me a name. That's ridiculous. You know, I have a black friend. Mm -hmm. My sister-in-law is black. That's crazy. My favorite teacher was black. (laughs) Right, right. I saw a guy on, he actually posted this big old discussion on LinkedIn. And and he says he's running for governor of Illinois. It's like, sure, pal. But he basically (laughs) was like, uh, you know, I'm not a racist. I never owned slaves. I've never, I have black friends. He went down the litany. And it, it, it was just like, sir, did you, do you actually read? And then I went over to his Twitter and saw, oh, he's just, you know, crazy. He's just all out crazy. But, you know, <laughs> I didn't this, realize that enslaved a human being was on the checklist for whether or not you have, <laughs> are a part of a racist system. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, so I read a piece today that said, and this is where we're talking about racism and where it really um, is very insidious. So for example, black people were locked out of the largest housing boom 
in history ever, which happened after World War II. So everyone's coming back. Yes, that, but all, you know, that, and they couldn't get loans and they couldn't get, so all of this stuff, they, they literally were locked out of that. And now, even after the civil rights movement, we still are so far behind. We, there is, generational wealth is not a thing we had an opportunity to, um, to, to take part in en masse. Whereas, you know, white people, they came back from war and they had, you know, the red carpet was rolled out. I don't know if you saw the piece on my page today, Liz, or or Kristen, about the guy who came back from war and got beat up by um, South Carolina police and was left blind. This yeah. is a veteran. Yeah. This is, you know, a veteran of World War II. And then mm-hmm. while we're at it and while we're talking about, you know, serving your country, the whole, like, I don't kneel for the flag because there are veterans in my family. There's veterans in my family, too. My father signed up and served in a segregated military. And when he came back here, he was, the Voting Rights Act hadn't even been passed. You know, it's not like, oh, you're, you know, you didn't serve beside people who were black while you were in the military. And I think it was desegregated in 1950 something or 58 or something like that. But it was late. Maybe it was 48. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But you see, the point is when you hear that argument, it's crap because we also served. We also served. Kneeling, you know, before the flag has nothing to do with protesting this country. My father loved this country. We loved being a military family. The Air Force is in our blood. I was born on a military base. But I know that, you know, when my dad got back, he didn't have the same rights as as white soldiers coming back. And Mm -hmm. I would just suggest to our listeners, if you have not seen the movie 13th, Ava DuVernay's movie, it is spectacular. We watched it with some of the, Mm -hmm. the older kids this week. I can't believe it took me so long to see it. And even though I knew a lot of the things in it, she puts the history of racism going back to the 13th Amendment and one line in the in the 13th Amendment and how that impacted everything for Black Americans through history. And so people mm. who don't understand the idea of privilege or how the Black community in particular starts at a huge disadvantage, um, mm-hmm. I, I would just suggest you watch that because she lines it all up so beautifully and perfectly. And by the way, she even ta- she talks about it on both sides of the aisle, what Democrats have done wrong, what Republicans have done wrong. She includes people like Newt Gingrich. I gasped when I saw him mm. being interviewed. Oh, and wow. It's really helpful. And I think in like just over two hours, I, I just think you'll have a different understanding if you're really looking to gain knowledge or help you see things in a different way. And and speaking of that, Renee, you know, we kind of had a discussion offline about how white people are not speaking up in majority white spaces. And that when there are Mm -hmm. black people or black women in particular who are in a a minority in the space, they see that they see the silence and they hear it loud. And, you know, you talked about how much you value when people are willing to speak up or have a conversation. And I just wanted Mm -hmm. to know about that because I, Mm -hmm. I, I, I know that white people are struggling. A lot of people who are new to this conversation, as you said in the beginning, and they want to do the right Mm -hmm. thing. They're scared to say the wrong thing. They're scared to be in a space they don't belong. They're scared to get yelled at. They're scared to be called a name. I mean, I understand all those fears, but I, I, I just like to know your perspective on the importance of white people speaking up about racism. So a couple of things. Um, Racism is a system that was put in place by white people. And that is what Robin D'Angelo talks about in White Fragility. And this happened, you know, when they were bringing enslaved peoples over. So 
this was where the beginnings of racism were. And so as it is a white person's, you know, it started and stemmed from that, they must be active in dismantling it. I understand people being afraid. I'm not one to run out and say, go out and start protesting or doing whatever it is. Some people don't protest. There are other ways to handle and make a difference. But with regard to speaking up in white spaces, again, I'm so impressed by Robin D'Angelo's book that I, I talk about it a lot. But she talks about how difficult that is because it's breaking a code that's like an unspoken code among mm-hmm. white people. Mm-hmm. And to, to break that creates other issues. And so it's a hard thing for them to do. And I get it and I understand that, which is why I applaud the ones who really are taking a moment to say, you know what, this isn't right. The next step, however, is to say what you're going to do about it. And like you said, Liz, this is a human rights issue. This is a you know social justice. This isn't about who you voted for or any of that stuff. It's about the fact that you know, my black son should feel safe being pulled over. He, I shouldn't have to tell him to start his recorder if right. he gets pulled over by the cops. And yet he does because I told him. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. difference. That's what we're talking about in a, in a tangible way. That's what we're talking about. And I'm so glad we are because I think that these are the things that people, you know, I'm biracial. My mom's Chinese, um, you know, so person of color, but certainly a different experience. But in, when I was in grad school, you know, a lot of my research as a therapist was mm-hmm. about working with people of minority culture as someone who basically looks white and treating mm-hmm. folks who were uh, black or Latina or people of color and and the position of power that we were in. And and, you know, I did a lot of research, actually, that was published. And a lot of people would come to me and be like, why are you the one writing this? Shouldn't mm-hmm. this come from an LGBTQ person? Because I did a lot of research in that area. Shouldn't this come from um, a, a black music therapist? And I remember huh. thinking, you know, th- the majority culture needs to speak up. We need to speak up and support our friends mm-hmm. and colleagues. You know, n- I just don't think that there is going to be effective change unless we put some of this weight a lot of this weight on our shoulders. And like you said, that is not just saying something that's doing something, you know, and for me, it's been talking to my, you know, particularly my son. We talked about this. Mm. What what do you think it would be like? You can walk around in this neighborhood at night and no one would bat an eye. But what if you were black and you walked around in this neighborhood? What do you think would happen? And he goes, someone would probably call the police. And I said, Mm. "How, how, how do you feel about that? What are your thoughts on that? And that's what more non-Black people, parents, need to be doing right now is asking our kids those questions. And Because these kids will get it. Like, they will get it. They can wrap their minds around this and make effective changes. But if we don't start these conversations... You know, how is this going to happen? How, 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 how is that going to happen? Right. So you, you may have followed the story when my daughter got called a shoplifter in that store on that. So we have a a house on Kiowa Island. I remember this. Right. Right. So here's my daughter who is out of school for the summer and she's babysitting and saved all her money. She wanted a, like a Vera, not Vera Wang, a Laura. Oh God, you know, I don't know any of these things. (laughs) She wanted a Vera Vera Bradley. (laughs) Vera Vera Bradley. Yes, thank you. She wanted a Vera Bradley wallet to hold her student ID in. And so she went into this store and she was the only 
person, only shopper there. Oh, there was one other shopper there. And the two elderly white ladies um, behind the counter, one whispered to the other, and it wasn't whisper, it was loud enough for Casey to hear, shoplifter. And Casey was just like, wait, what? What? And she wasn't talking about the other person. The other person was on another side of the store and they were looking right at Casey. And so Casey came home and she was like, devastated because she's not a shoplifter. She's a a nice girl and an honest person who works very hard just so she could get this thing. And she came home and told me the story. And I was like, okay, now this is where we get into how sort of the racial contract is. Now, what I wanted to do was run up to the store and say, how dare you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't know what, and, and do the thing that all of us mothers would do. Right. However, if I do that, I'm the angry black woman. And then everybody's, oh, you know, she was just in here and she was just blah, blah, blah. She was angry and upset. And Well, of course I was angry and upset, but I was also black. So mm-hmm. instead, I went online and I called them out on Facebook. I went on their Facebook page. I called them out on Twitter. I tagged all their brands. And ultimately, uh, by the way, this whole story is on my website. Um, And ultimately, they ended up issuing an apology after several non-apologies. But they finally did the right thing. The epilogue is, though, that now they got so damaged from all the negative publicity that they lost their lease in the store. Yes, it was a really interesting study in what not to do, but also in how to handle certain situations and of, of racial injustice because she, my daughter stayed calm. I mean, that was deeply hurtful to her. Of course. I, look, I'm a believer that shunning works. <laughs> I mean, I really, yeah. if you got like the one racist uncle at Thanksgiving and he knows yes. everyone's glaring yes. at him over the table, like yeah. that shit works. <laughs> like eventually they're yeah. going to start to like ask questions and come around unless, you know, some people are beyond help. But I really believe, <laughs> I mean, I looked at just how smoking got banned in New York City and slowly it was so bad to smoke that people just started internalizing smoking is bad. Like I, I really believe that making people have to rethink their bad ideas and bad habits, even if they, you know, don't know where they came from, even if they were raised to have them, that if we don't start to rethink them, um, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. But I really do have faith that that, especially the next generation, is going to do even better than we did. I just, I I I, see You know what? I'd like to think that, except that I can't believe that here we are again. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just really like, I felt like things were getting better. I thought we were going to continue on that trajectory. And now here we are again. And the hearts of black people specifically just couldn't take it anymore. And George Floyd was just one more in a series. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and then George Floyd. And it was so and brutal. And compounded by a president who tweeted to specifically yes. start shooting people who were out yes. protesting. To me, I think that was the final straw that got kind of everybody outraged. Yeah, our, our hearts just couldn't take it anymore. And this is, you know, people who get all upset about George Floyd. It really, George Floyd was really a symptom of a larger mm-hmm. problem. George Floyd's protesting was a symptom of a larger problem that has been woven deeply into the fabric of this nation. And I know it's been very frustrating to see white people say, okay, well, where should I start? Or what should mm-hmm. I say? Or, you know, help me out. And there's a lot of debate in the Black community about whether we should be, whether you should be teaching and helping and offering resources, mm-hmm. or whether it's like, 
dude, go back to Ferguson. Go back. Like, how far do you want to go back yeah. to find all Google, these articles man. and resources? Google, man. Google. Like, we tell our kids, right? It's right. like, Google, go look. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm really, two things. You just mentioned it, Liz, but I'm I'm stunned by how many people lack critical thinking skills. It, it just is, it's depressing to me because we've never been in a place where our country has ever had more information, not just our country, but the entire world, more information at your fingertips and people choose to be ignorant. And I, I'm stunned by that. The second thing is that when people say, I don't know where to start, I would say, and I mean, this sounds so like squishy and all hearts and love. I would say you start with your heart and that if you feel something is not right, then you speak up. Now, the question, if you know something's not right, you need to be armed with the information on what to say. For example, someone finally understood what Black Lives Matter means, which I've been posting forever. She was finally like, oh, I now get why it's not good to say all lives matter. So you continue on, but, but specifically to the people who don't know where to start, I say, open your hearts and close mm-hmm. your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Open your yes. heart and close your mouth. Don't try to come in and compare your experience with the black experience because it's not the same. Somebody said, oh, yeah, I remember my uncle was um, Italian in World War II and they got left out of the boom, too. And it was like, oh, God, please. It's exhausting for mm-hmm. us as mm-hmm. black people. So it's really about how can I help by, you know, amplifying your voice. I appreciate you guys for saying, hey, Renee, will you come on and chat with us and figuring out how can you help amplify this very specific experience that I'm living? And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I mean, you spoke very specifically about, you know, closing your mouth, <laughs> opening your ears, yep. you know, uh, and, and and you know, there was Blackout Tuesday. And I think a lot of people realized many things about that day, but Mm -hmm. that we are not following, we are not reading, we are not listening to Mm -hmm. enough Black voices. And, you know, there's certainly been a call for more, which should have been happening, you know, a while ago. We can get into the details of that. But I'm curious Mm -hmm. to know, you know, what what are you watching and reading? And, you know, we know what you're reading (laughs) because you love that book. We know that. But, you know, what are you watching? What are you listening to right now? Where are you going to get information and support and community and learn Mm -hmm. That's striking a chord with you. Well, I get most of my information from Instagram. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) At least you didn't say TikTok. (laughs) I'm so joking about that. All right. So I have only just recently been in a position where I can start reading more, and I'm thrilled to have this book be the one that I picked up. And it is a, a page turner. It's very informational. I'm I'm really excited to share that I started a book club, in fact, online. From I just asked on my Facebook page, hey, does anybody want to read this and talk about it? And I have like 150 people in a group that were like, yeah, we'd like to read wow. and talk about it. And so we meet via Zoom every Thursday night, and it's usually about 30 people. And it's kind of equally broken up, black and white, and we talk about our experiences. And so that's one of the things I'm reading. I am listening to a couple of podcasts, of course, the New York Times, the Daily, and I'm also listening to a podcast called Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. Turns out he's a fascinating speaker. I haven't, Mm. I just am starting to get into more podcasts, but one of the people who I love following on Twitter is Michael Harriet. Oh, um, he's my favorite. Oh God, I love him. So I follow him on 
on Twitter and I follow a couple of others. And then, you know, I, get, I watch news, obviously. But I just watched, and apparently Amazon has a Black Lives Matter sort of bundle that they're streaming for free, I think, right now. Right but I do know Just Mercy is streaming on multiple platforms for free. And that's the story of a man named Johnny D. McMillan. You know, he had his own business in Monroeville, Alabama. And he got pulled over, was charged with the brutal murder of a 18-year-old woman. And I'll just leave it there because I don't want to give it away. But he ended up on death row, and well, I'm gonna leave it there because <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to tell too much. But I want people to see that because there are still people who believe that if you're black and you quote unquote follow the rules, that you'll be okay with the police. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember telling me this. I posted something about my son, who's now turning 22. And he's, my God, come on. He's a 22 year old, good looking black kid. He's got a mouth (laughs) on him. Right. I mentioned that in my Facebook page and a woman literally came in and said, well, if he does what the police tell him to do, he'll be just fine. And I was like, oh my God, lady, how did you get here? (laughs) (laughs) Right. By the way, I look at a lot of my posts, a lot of the people on my page and I'm like, are you supposed to be following Renee Seiler? So, Renee, obviously you are an amazing speaker. And so one thing I want to know is, like, what topics do you want to be out there talking about? Like, people can hire you for community groups or for schools or for companies. Like, what would you like to be talking about that you think are good topics right now? Well, you know, gosh, I feel like I could speak to, yeah, I'm one of those people, if you just turned on the camera, I would talk forever. But I really, I'm very passionate about this one right now because I have young children and not as young as, as, I mean, they're my kids, so they're always going to be young, but they're 24 and 22. And I do have a genuine fear for my black son because he's a man and he's tall and he's, you know, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? He lives in an area in New York that is predominantly white. So I am worried and concerned about him. I would like to, you know, I'd like to speak more on this. I'd like to share my experiences. I'd like to sit down and help people to understand inherent bias. And the problem is, again, I'm not a, I'm not a learned professional. I'm just a lady who's been black for 57 years. And, and in that time, I, I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot. And I'm more than willing to share. 57, that's a lie. I know, man. <laughs> 42, I maybe. Just, I, I like sat here with my job and I was like, crap, I need to get some better skincare. <laughs> I know, but listen, lived experience is lived experience with this. And you you have spoken to so many people and you have done so many things in those 42 years that I yeah. I, I feel as though what you bring I, and, and there is something to being able to speak with someone, you know, whether in a, in a way that feels comfortable in a way that, you know, and granted, yes, we need to be uncomfortable. Right. I agree that our discomfort is where yeah. we learn, but you do it with such finesse and the discourse that I've seen. You know, yeah, people get beaten up in the comments, but, you know, that that's the nature of comment sections on the Internet. But I think that's so valuable in 
people learning in people grasping this, right? It's it's not even just listening. It's like, do you grasp this? And then how do you make this come alive in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Black people have been uncomfortable since the beginning of time in this country. True that. And now, now it's time for white people to be uncomfortable. I think that sounds fair as a white person. I cannot speak for all white people. I certainly can't speak for the 56% that voted for Trump, but I can say, <laughs> you know, a little discomfort in the name of growth and human rights and justice and equity is, I think that's a very reasonable trade for sure. Yep. So let me ask you, Renee, where else can our listeners find you, follow you, if they want to hire you, if they want to join your book club? Where can we find you? Okay. So the website is goodenoughmother.com. I'm on Twitter at goodenoughmother and that's E-N-U-F mother. Uh, I have my Facebook page is goodenoughmother. And and then Renee Seiler's Tough Topics Book Club. So we're finishing White Fragility in the next two weeks. And then we're going to pick up another book. And people can join, even if they haven't read White Fragility or they're just getting started with it. You know, they're welcome to come in on the discussion. And then you can either... uh, tweet at me or you can email me at Renee at goodenoughmother.com. And it's one E, R-E-N-E, the boy's way. <laughs> That's fabulous. Thank you. And uh, I may have to join that book club. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. We're going to be back with our cool picks of the week right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Star Stable Entertainment, makers of the very popular Star Stable Online and the Soul Riders trilogy, both of which my daughter Bridget can't put down and can't stop playing. They've just launched the final installment in the series, Soul Riders Darkness Falling. Combining friendship, magic, and horses, this trilogy carries a powerful message that tweens and teens need to hear. You are strong, you are powerful, and you can be the hero in your own adventure. They've also launched Read, Write, Unite, where young storytellers can enjoy a series of writing masterclasses on YouTube with last week's amazing, super wonderful guest, Helena Dahlgren. And they're even hosting an accompanying short story competition where one lucky winner will have their story turned into an Instagram comic. To learn more, head over to Star Stable's YouTube channel for more on the writing masterclass or to Instagram, that's at Star Stable Online, for more on the competition, which ends soon. So hurry, go there right now. That's Star Stable Online. And if you want to purchase Soul Rider's Darkness Falling along with any of the other books in the trilogy, go to Amazon.com. Okay, it's time for Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! And Renee, you are our guest. You get to go first. Okay. Well, um, with all the social distancing, I really wanted to have kind of like a movie theater feel. And I'm in a place with a sunroom. So there's a sunroom. I enclosed it with drop cloths. I really wanted this movie feel. And so I bought this totally cool projector. And it's tiny. It's about $200. It's made by... Ape Man, A-P-E-M-A-N. And I loved it because you could turn your living room or the screen outside or whatever. You could even put up a screen outside. And unlike a lot of projectors, which I understand don't play Netflix, this one does. You can hook it to your computer. All right. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually have a post on Cool Mom Tech with projectors, too, all in different price ranges. Oh. You know, put a sheet up outside and you could do a yep. little social distance movie night because I don't I don't see movie theaters in our future very soon. Yeah. <laughs> so have all the kids on their bikes. 
bikes and there'll be like a semi drive-in <laughs> 2020 <laughs> or in the pool or whatever exactly yeah. in the pool what about you liz what's your cool pick i cannot believe renee that you mentioned malcolm gladwell and revisionist history <gasps> because <gasps> my cool pick of the week is his book talking to strangers what we should know about the people we don't know i love Malcolm Gladwell. I devour everything oh. he writes. And I mentioned on a recent podcast that one of my cool picks was Libro.fm, which is an audiobook app that supports indie bookstores. So whether you use that or use Audible, Talking to Strangers is so good as an audiobook because he recorded mm-hmm. it like a podcast. So it's oh, about what goes wrong when we talk yes. to strangers and all the biases that we have. Not just racial oh. biases, but he gets into how often judges that have to decide whether someone gets bail or not are wrong. He, he talks about, you know, people have been wrongly accused of stuff because they don't act the way we think that innocent people are supposed mm. to act, but that reality is not like a Friends episode where you know that Ross feels bad because he makes a, ooh, I feel bad face. You know, that people are not mm. what we think they are, and we, we, we treat everybody like caricatures. Anyway, it is so fascinating. Wow. Every chapter is just a whole different story, but he does it like a, almost oh, wow. like a podcast where he has reenactments of some of the scenes, but he also has dialogue from interviews of real people he's spoken to. And so I just, I listened to it every single day when I was like washing dishes or doing laundry or whatever. And it was like listening to a play or a podcast. It's so wow. Cool. So Malcolm Gladwell talking to strangers, read the book or download the audiobook. It is excellent. Good to listen oh, to when you're right. sitting in your car trying to get in some quiet time away from the kids during a pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh. Um, and of course, we're going to link up all of these cool picks of the week and everything we spoke about on this episode on our Cool Mom Picks podcast page, which will include my link, which is our latest Father's Day gift guide. Um, our editor, Christina, really put together a beautiful, fantastic Father's Day gift guide. You know, we've always been about small businesses at Cool Mom Picks, and they have been hit hard. And Black-owned businesses in particular are already struggling, right? And so now they've even been hit harder. So we put together, we're like, you know what? We are putting together a food gift guide on Cool Mom Eats, all from Black-owned businesses. And oh my gosh, I want everything on here. I'm not even a dad, so I don't know what that says about me. That's another show. But (laughs) there's wine, Maison Noir wines and dope coffee. And, and you know what? We've been, we've featured this on our Instagram feed and everyone's been messaging us. It's so lovely. They're, Thank you so much. It's so hard for people to find us. Thank you for, you know, using your platform and sharing. And we've done this for many, many years. Um, and we're more than happy to keep doing it. But especially now, we felt like it was really important to do. So you can find all of those gifts over on Cool Mom Eats and of course on our Cool Mom Picks podcast page. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our guest, Renee Seiler, and of course, our amazing engineer, John Bowen. There are a few things you can do to help spread the word and support Spawned, and we'd be so grateful. You can subscribe, you can download or save our episodes, leave us a five-star review if you like what you're hearing, and honestly, the best thing, tell a friend or family member about our podcast. If you love this episode today, and I think there are a lot of people out there that need to hear what Renee is talking about, 
please send it to them. Yeah. Because uh, you never know who you'll reach and how. You know, and there's such an easy share feature on the podcast app, at least if you're using an iPhone. So you can just text it right to somebody that you love, someone who maybe needs to hear this. You can pop it right on your Instagram or Facebook feed. We're so, so grateful. And if you're a listener, you know, you're already part of our Spawn podcast community, but you can make it official if you go over to Facebook. Sorry, there are no certificates or awards or trophies. However, there is a lovely community of listeners as part of our Spawned Podcast Community Facebook group. You can go over there. We've been chatting about our episodes. We've been commiserating about our experiences in quarantine and some fun stuff too. So head over there. Join us. We would love to have you. Thanks so much for listening to Spawned. This is Liz. And this is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. 